0: Hey, hey, Water Coolians. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today in the podcast, we are joined by Laura and Rachel, hosts of the podcast that answers the questions people are too afraid to ask in polite society. Two wonderful individuals with a lot of wonderful things to add to our wonderful world. I'm sure there's a few more wonderfuls I can add in there, but it was an absolute pleasure to have them on the podcast to talk about a few vital issues happening in our world, like should we be shooting 6.7 million samples of sperm and ova onto the moon? Or are ancient Roman philosophers calling us lazy? All things, these are all things I think about on the daily. So now, listener, I want you to think about them for the next 60 minutes. And maybe, I don't know, after that too, think about it. Get back to me. That's that's kind of that's kind of the trade-off we have here. And I'm, I'm keeping this introduction short too, because you know what? I know he's been in the business for a long time, and he's been a monument to the podcasting industry. But I've been listening to a lot of Marin and That guy... He has a lot to say in his introductions. So let me know if you like the shorter introduction. Let me know if you like the longer introduction. Let me know if you like something in between. Send us an email at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com or send us a DM at watercoolertalkpod on Instagram. What length introduction do you enjoy? So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 60 titled Doomsday Clock with Impolite Society enjoy this is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real i was in a partnership with my good friend marty and one of the things we had to figure out was whose name went first. Have you guys had this conversation? Yeah. Has this been a agreed upon thing?
1: It is. It is because Laura beats me alphabetically in both first name and last name. So there you go. I didn't really think about it. She said Laura goes first. I'm like, okay. No, no. (laughs) I think there was, there was thoughts. There was thoughts about it. I'm pretty sure. Maybe on your end, you just said Laura first, and I'm like, okay, because I always want to be first. (gasps) Ah. Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, that was the thing. Like, I really like Adam and Marty, but everyone was like, "Oh, we love Marty and Adam," and I was just like, I guess.
2: I think Adam and Marty. I think is a little bit better. A is first. Thank you, you Laura. Thank you.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: <Floats>. <laughs> Spoken like a f- true first namer. <laughs> Laura, you
0: are just hyping up my ego in this episode. I very much appreciate it. Rachel, you've got to step up the game. I'm all about ego oh, here. Oh,
1: okay, okay. I'll try to do we're better. We're podcasters. We're all <laughs> about
0: ego. We're
2: like, listen to us People talk love everyone.
0: hearing our voices. Well, all right, so you two, are you ready to jump into the first news story? Oh,
2: you know Definitely. It. This
0: is from Insider News, March 11th, 2021. Scientists want to send $6.7 million sperm samples to the moon as a global insurance policy six scientists from the university of arizona proposed during a recent institute of electrical and electronics engineering's aerospace conference that is a mouthful that humans could buy into a modern global insurance policy by building an ark similar to noah's ark filled with 6.7 million sperm samples on the moon the process would involve shooting the sperm and ova samples because they're scientists they know they need both of 6.7 million species including humans Animals, bacteria, plants, and as we found out from our episode with Dr. Shana Gifford, you need a fun guy on a long trip. So you gotta have some fun guy in there. Up to the moon via multiple payloads. The samples would then be stored in a vault beneath the surface of the moon in a lunar pit for protection. Hopefully, they don't miss the mark and end up in the Sarlacc pit on Tatooine. (laughs) Oh boy, oh boy. The lunar arc would help Earth repopulate if a catastrophic disaster such as a deadly epidemic, a supervolcano, large-scale nuclear war, a widespread drought, or an asteroid were to occur. One of the scientists, Jake Ntange, said, Earth is naturally a vital environment. An Earth-based repository of samples, I believe there's one Norway or Sweden, would still leave specimens vulnerable to getting destroyed in a massive disaster. While this might seem like a suggestion straight out of science fiction, the scientists behind the proposal have calculated that sending the cryogenically frozen samples with relative safety to the moon might well be a feasible option. Tonga reported that the facility could be filled with samples in 250 flights to the moon. In comparison, the building of the International Space Station only required 40 trips. Another scientist from the proposal, Elvaro Diaz Flores Caminero, said projects like these bring humankind closer to becoming a space civilization and to a not very distant future where mankind will, will have bases on the moon and Mars. Hopefully everyone knows we've been in this uh, a literal pandemic for uh, over a year now. It's safe to say we have a decent somewhat of a decent idea of how people would respond to a catastrophic disaster. Do you do you think humanity would be able to better handle the end of the Earth if we had something of a safeguard like 6.7 million samples of sperm and ova on the moon.
1: No. So here's the (laughs) big red flag that I had in this. They're putting all this stuff and they're sending it to the moon And if this huge catastrophe happens, I don't know how to fly a spaceship. (laughs) What's to say that the last people left know how to even freaking get it down? Because
2: the global elites will always know how to get to the moon and Mars. Oh, obviously. They're they're there.
0: They'll know in advance, Rachel, that the Earth is going to be destroyed and they're already gone. They
2: already have their bunkers laid out. They're ready to go. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) But, I mean, I would feel better about the end of the world, like... Obviously, I would not want to die. No one wants to die in a catastrophic event, but I would feel better about the 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 future of humanity if I knew that something like this existed on the moon.
2: I think that's a very noble way to think about it, but I think the general population is just going to be like, ah, <laughs> you know, like you're eminent I'm demise. I'm being vaporized. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, your eminent demise is scary. I don't know that it would help people better weather a potential catastrophe and extinction of humanity. But I mean, I think it's a good idea in theory, you know, to to have that uh, stockpile, like the one in Sweden or Norway or whichever that article mentioned, you know, having that, that doomsday vault, I think is a good idea. But gosh, the the expense of it and the the trips to the moon the the international space station what was it 40 trips and then the this project 250 oh my gosh the money to be spent on that woof
0: i did i did very 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 rough math so the iss cost about 100 billion to build and if we go by this like 2050 or 250 40 visits data it would be about, once again, this is probably not correct. And this is all a hip- hypothetical idea at the time. It costs about $600 billion Jesus to do this.
1: Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but that's not going up in smoke like the fuel that gets the spaceship to the moon. It's going into the economy, guys. It's stimulating. It's paying people's jobs. Well, that's
0: that's a good thing, Rachel, because Bernie Sanders, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with Bernie Sanders and Elon Musk going at it. Uh, but they've had a bit of a back and forth about, you know, similar concepts to what Caminero had mentioned mentioned there at the end this idea of should the money spent be spent here on earth or should it be spent investing in colonizing the stars and where do you stand rich you kind of already showed your point there but where do you stand laura on spending this money in space or on earth
2: i mean even if you're spending it on space it's it's the economy the money is is coming through earth mm-hmm. i mean there that has to funnel into the economy you know it was jobs to to make the space the spaceships and you know, the materials and all that—I mean, it's, it is funneling into uh, our our Earth-based economy. There is no space economy that I'm aware of yet. Uh, so I <laughs> mean, I guess I'm a fan agreements. of it. Yeah, there's,
0: I think there's a—I think there's a International Federation of Galaxies or something.
2: International Federation of Planets. I am a, a Star Trek fan, and that is International Federation of Planets. No, but
0: famous. Laura, there's like like this uh, Iranian scientists or something came out recently and said that there's this glow or there's this universal federation of planets or something and the only reason they, they contacted Trump and Trump was like, "We don't want any of that or Earth wasn't ready. Obviously <laughs> wasn't it's ready. A, a bit of, a bit of BS, but uh,
2: it's interesting.
0: <laughs> just want you to know that it's out there.
2: I, I did know. I thought you were making a straight Star Trek reference legit. so that's interesting. I'm gonna have to look uh, look this up and find out what exactly is going on on the, the uh, intergalactic economy. I, should I invest? Do I need to make some Bitcoin investment, you know, in the
1: future? I invest. I'm like, how do I imply to be an ambassador? Like, how do you get involved in this? I want to see the world. You gotta do some
0: weird stuff with an alien. That's how you that's how you get into it. You gotta invest in that hierarchy. (laughs) I'm down. I think you you kind of both brought up a good point. It's like this money isn't just I think the the rover that just went to Mars cost about three billion dollars. They're just not shooting three billion dollars onto Mars. Like you both mentioned, you know, they they have to pay the scientists, the engineers, the industries that create the material for these products. So it is recirculating back into the economy. And I don't think a lot of people realize that's how spending at something like NASA works.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it just sinks into the kind of this core question that has been present for our entire existence, right? What's better to try to distribute the wealth as much as possible or to like invest in our future as a species? And I think we typically lean towards investing in our future as a species that's why we've you know think about if they took the money they used to develop the i don't know the first vaccine ever and then they they use that to feed a, a hungry person like the trade off is is not quite there or is art so much money is spent on art and entertainment is that necessarily the best use of that money from a strictly like humanitarian viewpoint probably not but we keep spending it i mean it, it puts food on tables in the
2: end product, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know?
0: (laughs) Sometimes investments don't work. Like, No Child Left Behind was always the thing I thought was the stupidest thing ever. That cost about like $30 billion. But anyways, even though No Child Left Behind didn't end up working, one of the good things we got from No Child Left Behind is like we got this data system that said, hey, these kids are not doing well in math in this area. So now we can reallocate funds to that area to teach them math better. And teach Adam English better. So I <laughs> Has think any yeah, of it worked. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably not yet. But over time, you're you're hoping you're like kind of putting your faith in humanity and governments, which is sometimes hard. That they're going to do the right thing?
1: Question mark. Uh, yeah, very very upspeak, uh, Maybe
2: <laughs> we hope. We hope. But I think the doomsday, like this whole thing of shooting stuff into space. I mean, that really goes into this whole thing about the end, right? Mm-hmm. The apocalypse. We're, we're always so interested in it. We're always speaking about it. Like, what what is up with that? Why are we doing that as a species?
0: Do you think we're like too intrigued about these end times? Like we're hoping so, like I think when that Mayan thing happened in what, when was that, 2012?
1: 2012.
0: A lot of people were hoping that happened when Y2K happened. Yeah. A lot of people were like, I hope this happens.
2: I I think it's fascinating. And then this is the part where I I clickety-clack-clack. I did my research on humanity and our predictions of the end. It's been happening since pretty much the beginning of recorded time. We have been worried about the end of time. I was looking it up and uh, the first prediction For the end of the world on wikipedia to be fair uh was 66 a.d god is coming the messiah is coming we're we're gonna be free it's just something that is just so pervasive you know in earlier centuries it was all about religion but now in the 20th century we've even got a fair amount of that secular doomsdayness going on you know we got climate change we got uh, artificial intelligence aliens the doomsday clock do you guys know about the doomsday clock yes it's getting closer every second kind well, of
0: yeah can you explain the doomsday clock a little bit i think i know but i want to be sure
2: yeah it's it's this group of uh, like nuclear scientists and physicists they they put all this stuff together and they decide kind of arbitrarily if you look at the research about like how close we are to quote midnight which is you know, the elimination of the human species. And it, it's all over the board. There's really no rhyme or reason about where it clicks. But I think the the farthest it's a, away it's been is like in 1991 or something. And like the closest was like 2016 or something. We were like 10 seconds away from Annihilation. Yes. It's completely bullshit. But, you know, it, it makes for fun news stories. But this stuff is happening continuously. And it's not just... The scientists it's also the heaven's gates and the crazy preachers and the jehovah's witnesses that have predicted the end of the world so many times that they don't even do it anymore they're like we've been so embarrassed we're just gonna say the 20th century is, is now what they
1: say <laughs> sometime right. in the next thousand years well, i
0: almost think it's like a system to buy in because if you think of like some of like heaven's gate or cults just in general it's like all right the world's gonna end let's make sure you all follow what i do and then it doesn't end you're like well it I meant the next week after next week, and then you're buying back in. And I think, you know, Reagan uh, said something to the fact of like, we need an alien species to really unite the world because otherwise we're just always fighting each other. So maybe uh, these end times are kind of humanity's way of saying, hey, let's work together before kind of the end of the world happens.
1: See, I have a very opposite view where I feel like a common theme the theme in all of these doomsday predictions, it, there comes from a fair amount of morals or a little bit of glee in watching other people be punished. Whether it's, oh, you didn't believe. And my God so now you're left behind or left below whatever that book series was left behind left behind or you didn't stop driving your hummer so you deserve when your state of Florida is underwater it's just a little bit of like gloating a little bit of gloating to it
2: yeah I, I definitely agree with that that there's a couple of things at play here one of those things I think is that that justice. Factor, you know, whether it's secular or religious, it's the bad are going to be punished, or we're going to get, we're going to reap what we sow, uh, and we're going to end up in this situation. Because it's been happening so much, I think it has something to do with humanity in general and not just religion or secular or, or even to our time, right? Like it's continually happening all throughout human history. And I think it has something to do with how humans are conditioned. We're looking for danger everywhere. And that's kind of how we have survived as a species, evolutionary. If you listen to our show, we listen to talk about evolutionary biology all the time. We should think about, it, you hear that rustling in the grass. Is it the wind or is it a lion? If I think, oh, in my imagination, I think, oh, it's a lion. And if it's not a lion, well, oh, well, I, I'm still alive. You know, I ran away. I, I put myself in my hut. I got my, <laughs> my, my, my crew, you know, to protect me. It's not a lion, it was just the wind, but I'm still safe. But if you thought, "Eh, it's not a lion, it's the wind." Well, you're lunch and you're not passing on your jeans anymore, <laughs> you know? And It's
0: better to be safe than risk it.
2: Exactly. And so I think this is why it's part of the reason why we're stressed out all the time as far as all the, the things that were happen that are happening in our lives, we're what is it? What is the phrase? Rachel oh, help me out here. we
1: are prehistoric Software. No, heart. Shoot, I messed it up, too. Anyways, we're prehistoric or modern software running on prehistoric hardware. Right. So our bodies, our brains, our whole physical system is conditioned, you know, for what, 100,000 years to be in that hunter gatherer tribe to be out there evading lions and taking down the woolly mammoths. This blip of our civilization after agriculture which does kind of tie into the next story, is a blip. So if you started the creation, speaking of the countdown of that clock or the doomsday clock, if you started humanity at zero, like the modern human, and looked at where we are today in comparison to our time in that hunter-gatherer, you know, nomadic lifestyle, we wouldn't have even hit agriculture until like 1150. Mm-hmm. You know, we would almost be 10 minutes back towards the new right now at zero. So that's just we have so much evolution and genetics that's programmed us to be this way. Yeah,
0: you know, that's a good point. Like even the fact of like our jaws, I was just reading this thing about how our jaws have formed throughout history. And it takes a long time. Like we have wisdom teeth. We don't need wisdom teeth. We don't need to grind down our food as much as they did in the the uh, the past.
2: It's funny that you talk about wisdom teeth because I was just talking about that with my husband the other day, that like the wisdom teeth that come out when you're like in the teenage dumb years. And the idea is that you've probably ground down some of your other teeth already, and then they bring them forward so you can more effectively eat and chew and all that kind of stuff. But because we have modern dentistry, we no longer need those. And they're just crowding up our mouths and giving us headaches.
0: I'm in the the process of getting my wisdom teeth taken out sometime this year. So it's been on my mind. I'm not... How,
2: how old are you, Adam?
0: I am 25.
2: Okay. I got my remove when I was, I think, 17, 18. So the, I've had that.
0: multiple. Opportunities to remove my wisdom teeth, and for some reason, I haven't taken them. I didn't do it when I was on my parents' insurance, which I they should have done this cost. <laughs> they brought me into the world, and now I have to pay for it. They're responsible which is, for uh, those teeth. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we move on, I do want to quick ask you guys if you have a favorite end of the world theory, or if you're not, do you have a preferred death? And I'm not talking like dying of old age in your sleep. I'm talking about like being put into a cannon and launched into a volcano kind of death.
2: I'm glad you asked that because that was going to be one of my questions too for everybody. It was, what's your favorite doomsday scenario? And I don't know. I watched too much Walking Dead, I think. No. The zombie (laughs) apocalypse, man. I've just read too much about it. No. Max Max Brooks's uh, book about it. I'm just like, you know what? Let's go out there. Let's fucking fight tooth to nail. And I'll probably die horribly and miserably. (laughs) But it sounds exciting.
1: So let's give it a go.
0: Rachel, what about you?
1: Oh man, my favorite doomsday or my favorite doomsday scenario. That's a fun sentence. I don't think I've ever said. Said that before. I like to think it would be a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where all of a sudden mm. it's just lights out where the space aliens come through and clear the planet out of the way for their highway. That would be nice, just fast, no suffering like Laura. She wants to be bitten a bunch. That's interesting. I want to do no, I want to duke it out. I want a chance to duke it out and prove
2: myself.
0: I'm all about a nuclear holocaust.
2: Oh, why? Like, yeah, that sounds
0: awful. Kind of fallout being in a bunker and then once the, the, the. The radiation is gone. Kind of reclaiming the earth.
2: Wh- which bunker do you want to be in? Do you play Fallout?
0: A little bit. I think. What's the one with a hundred women and one man? <laughs> that one. Obviously. No. I think a, probably probably one that's like well balanced because obviously like that one turns into a shitstorm.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not about the repopulating or resettling the earth. I don't know. I I like. We've been so comfortable our whole lives. I don't think any of us really know what it's like to oh, be absolutely hungry not. or absolutely not have not. air conditioning or have to dig a hole and shit in it and then bury it i
0: have done I, that I, I have done
1: oh that. okay Well, i spent a it. few
0: months in africa so i know a little bit about how to survive in the african bush anywhere else in the world don't know how to african bush feel like i got a good handle of it we
1: have to move to africa and then the world ends yes, and then you'll be yes. good or good you know spot. you just buy a ticket as soon as you hear see that missile come in you're like gotta go I'm out of here. Gotta go
0: to Africa. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I would like to welcome to the show hosts Laura and Rachel of Impolite Society, the podcast that tackles the taboo one rude question at a time. Laura and Rachel? Welcome to Water Cooler Talk.
1: Thank you, thank you for having us. We're real excited to be here.
0: Your show in polite society answers the questions people are too afraid to ask, questions that would make your grandma blush, rude questions that would not fly in polite society. You know, we kind of talked about it pre-show how our, our shows are very similar. So I kind of want to uh, get a, a glimpse into your thought process to this, as your audience, your voice, and influence continues to grow. You know, especially in this space of sharing factual opinions about. Tough topics on the internet for everyone to listen to. Do, d- does the impact or potential impact of what you say ever creep into the back of your minds?
1: Oh, this is so timely. Yeah, it is.
2: <laughs> we just had an episode that we we tried to record. We have a Fan Friday episode where we ask we, we answer questions from listeners, and we had one that related to race and and we we recorded it. We did our best, and it was just. We, and Rachel was editing it and she's just like. I this hate this
1: just, yeah I'm like I hate this yeah. we trashed it a whole episode I spent probably five hours trying to edit it because talked hours? Really... yeah oops Laura doesn't know how long I edit our podcast sorry it takes no, a long but...
0: time Laura it takes a long time <laughs> to edit a podcast
1: yes yeah and it was like an hour and a half of content that I was trying to get down to 45 minutes to half an hour Um. and it was just we're not equipped for that we did a, a podcast about the founding fathers and if they're hashtag canceled mm-hmm. and we still that one was rough and we took that from more of a historical approach so we like to have root conversations so our kind of differentiator what we we're, we're learning to toe the line is more about questions that are relatable or questions about the human experience that you know that we feel that we can weigh in on. So, mm-hmm. if you're looking for a conversation about what themed parties are okay, which was the topic of the episode brought on by that bachelor stuff that happened a couple weeks ago, there's going to be a lot of people who are better equipped to have that than we are.
2: Well, and also, it's just really hard If if I can be vulnerable for a minute, it's hard to have a very honest conversation about it because you are a little bit afraid to ask questions and admit that you don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, what's okay and what's not. And there is a fear of the Twitter mob, you know, uh, about getting a hold of things and and what you said wrong, because people do say things wrong. And I, I know that I say things wrong. And so there was just a lot of fear around it. So we're like, you know what? We're we're not the best person to talk about that, you know, because we are not of the demographic that's most affected and because we're we're not we're not sure what's okay to say and what's not. So Mm -hmm. let's just leave this to the quote professionals and we'll stick with our conversations about poop and birth and And virginity.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because we can't be our authentic selves if we're constantly trying to censor ourselves or make sure that yeah. we're saying the right thing. So what you get is a lot of just nothing, mm-hmm. right? You get us kind of hemming and hawing for an yeah. hour and a half. Not good content. No, it's, it's, not, it's not serving anybody, right? Uh, we both have day jobs, so we also keep that in mind as well. Um, when it comes to if if we do make a flub,
0: there's potential consequences to what you say outside of just this podcast space.
1: Yeah, but apparently we'll talk about sex and all kinds of different sex, but we can't touch we can't touch that one. <laughs>
0: well, it is it is so interesting to that point to be in this space of podcasting where Laura, you mentioned it earlier, you're, just, you're talking and you're you have to have some sort of ego to be able to talk for an hour. I hope people start saying like. I just don't know about this topic, but let me maybe bring in someone who knows that topic a little better. Like, you know, I had a a guest on, Felipe, who is a cognitive scientist. I don't know anything about cognitive science. I went to college for a year to study zoology. I know nothing about that. And that episode ended up him being him talking for like 90% of the episode. And I was just I was just like, I'm just gonna listen because you know what you're talking about. I have no idea what I talk what I'm talking about. Sometimes I'll get a bit of an ego and I'll try to, you know, pretend like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But for the most part, I'm like, this is your space to share your information. And A lot more people in the podcasting space need to do that in reality show, the reality show space when it comes to like Bachelor, Chris Harrison. They just need to let the people that experience those things speak.
2: Yeah. But I bet you know a lot about tigers and I love tigers.
0: (laughs) I do know a little bit about tigers and the different tigers, Asian tigers.
1: They're my favorite animal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really? That's an interesting. I mean, that's a good one, I guess. I mean, what is okay? First semester zoology degree. What are classes? What's the coursework look like? What's the the, the schedule?
0: So I went in. I went in with some AP courses. So I was, of course, you know, you're very I had ambitious. I
1: can tell that. Did I Thank get for you. that work for the ego?
0: That's that's helping the ego. Check mark for you. It's two to one now. Yes. Shit! I <laughs> uh, am so behind. But it was like it was like basic things like, you know, biology and pre-biology and psychology and animal behavior. Like psychology mm. and animal behavior were obviously my two <gasps> two favorite listeners, though. They're yeah. sick of hearing this. Thing, Are you a fan
1: of Temple Grandin?
0: I have no idea who that is.
1: Oh, she is an autistic woman who uses her autism to help understand animals. Okay. And she like really transformed the beef industry by making the whole Processing part of it better for the cows.
0: Interesting. She's amazing. I did just read something when it comes to cows and kind of tigers uh, that you can paint zebra stripes on a cow and it will have fifty percent less flies attracted to it.
1: Yeah, that was on Reddit tonight. That's fascinating. <laughs> it
0: was. I saw it on Reddit. <laughs> uh, before we move on, myself and Water Cooler Talk are on a mission to help get back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. Speaking of animals, this is a perfect segue. Uh, for each new episode of the podcast, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of their episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to the charity in honor of the guest, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. We hope you listening to this episode can join in to help spread their message to your own personal audience. Lauren, Rachel, your charity of choice for today's episode is the Humane Society of Missouri. Do you mind explaining a bit about what they do, the work they do in Missouri? and why they are a cause we're supporting.
2: We just love animals. Uh, Rachel has a a menagerie at her home. I have just two cats. And there are so many good causes in the world and things to donate to. Whatever anybody mentions, Charity, my mind just immediately goes to animals and just how much we can do for just, you know, the, the domestic animals that are so abused and neglected for just no reason at all. And it's freaking heartbreaking. And... I I love the Humane Society. I love any animal uh, beneficiary uh, organization and just – Helping those among us that, that don't have a voice and can fight for themselves.
1: Yes. So we adopt all of our pets from the Humane Society. So we have four. And I would say they're three for four. One's questionable. <laughs> but we keep her. <laughs> but they also help all different kinds of animals. So cats, dogs. The Humane Society of Missouri also has something called like Long Meadow Ranch, which is a rescue ranch for farm animals. And it gives a place for people to have a humane solution when they're in I don't know, maybe over their head. Like, I had chickens growing up, and you would buy the chickens as little baby chicks. They're so cute. And it was a straight shot like straight run is what they call it so you're rolling the dice if you're gonna have hens that lay eggs you're gonna have roosters that are illegal you raise these little chicks up and you love them and they're so cute and then of course some of them turn into roosters that you can't keep and we we had to give some to we took them to a chicken swap that's a very missouri thing jeez Wait, i live in the city i'm not i don't live on a farm but um, i don't i don't live in the city i live in county. Woo. <laughs> But I went to the chicken swap, and we had to give up roosters, and those roosters did not probably have a long, happy life. But we were able to give another rooster we got in the next batch of chickens to the Humane Society, and he probably did have a pretty good life out there on that farm. So they they really help the companion animals, but then they also provide that additional support for all different kinds of animals. So they're great.
0: <laughs> Well, I appreciate you guys bringing uh, or mentioning them on the podcast. Obviously, being on a, at least I was when I was in college on a pre-vet track. So obviously, I have a special place in my heart for animals.
2: They're the best. The purest among us.
0: (laughs) Are you both ready to jump into our final news story?
1: Oh, we are ready.
0: This is from the Conversation Ethics and Religion, March 19th, 2021. Doing nothing is all the rage. Is it a form of resistance or just an indulgence for the lucky few? The pandemic has either created too much free time or too little. Kitchen table commutes and reduced social obligations expand mornings and weekends for some, while caretakers and gig workers are exhausted by the constant overlapping demands of home and work. Oh man, I know that feeling. It is no surprise then that idleness is trending. Doing nothing is even being called a new productivity hack. Our brains use timeouts to help reinforce long-term learning and productivity. And we've aligned the practice with an always-on culture that seeks to optimize every waking minute. But there's a long-debated ethics to idleness, and the debates of its ethics date back thousands of years to philosophers and theologians who distinguish between leisure and sloth. Ancient Romans like Cicero and Seneca both advocated for leisure consisting of personal cultivation that would ultimately serve society. They argued that properly studying history, politics, and philosophy demanded time away from the business of the city. Citizens who learned these subjects could then help ensure peace and stability throughout the republic. I think, actually, Cicero and Seneca might have been in the Roman Empire, but... What do I know? (laughs) Medieval Christian societies, which rose after the fall of the Roman Empire, established a system of vices and virtues that condemned sloth as a form of laziness, boredom, and as we most know it as, sin. Sloth distracted from many kinds of work, including productive economic labor, the spiritual work of penance, and the, quote, Good works of charity. As history became modern time, the division of idleness into beneficial leisure and reprehensible sloth elicited new critics such as 19th century economist and sociologist Thorstein Veblen, who noted that leisure was a status symbol that distinguished the haves from the have nots. Why is it that when somebody from the elite class daydreams, it's seen as beneficial to society? But when somebody from the working class daydreams, it's seen as unproductive? Yet, as the 20th century progressed, productivity returned as a status symbol. Long work hours and a packed calendar conveyed status, even virtue when judged by capitalist values. You were deemed more important the more you worked and the less time you had for leisure or sloth. But escaping the hamster wheel of productivity can spark the ideas that change the world. Real thought and insight require real time away. Mental breaks to allow our brains to do the important cleanup work, extra sleep, time for hobbies and retreat from mundane cares, restore the body and the mind, and promote creativity. Yet too often, the wellness movement's treatment of idleness, which rebands the medieval sin of sloth as a virtue, reinforces its privileges. Everyone needs rest, and it's easy to feel the attraction of disengagement, but idleness has often been a resource unequally allocated to the haves, and moralized as sloth among the have-nots. So, should you do nothing? Whatever choice you make, you should know that personal idleness has a different function from civic-minded idleness. Personal idleness restores renews, but can also lead to antisocial or selfish behavior. Civic-minded idleness acknowledges our connection with society even as we withdraw from it, giving us space to explore, play, and discover. Both kinds of idleness can be a social good, but the more opportunities people have to be idle, the better off everyone is. So I kind of want to get like just a broad sense of where y'all both are at. Do you support the author's claims that the more opportunities people have to be idle, whether it's personal idleness or civic-minded idleness, the better off everyone ends up being?
2: Yes. I mean, I think absolutely. The way that the article phrases idleness being like time to educate yourself, I mean, is that being idle? I mean, maybe you're not producing immediately, you know, but just it just caused a mind in general education. You know, when a child is going to school – Maybe they're not contributing, you know, they're not putting on their uh, you know, work boots like you know, early 20th century children yeah, and at going least not to the after work. 1918. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But th- but educating people in the long run benefits the whole society. I don't consider that idle. Really, at all? I think I think the conversation now is more about those shower thoughts, you know, those ideas that you have when you're not supposed to be doing anything, but your brain wanders to create new things. That's kind
1: of the the new conversation, I think. Oh yeah, I think everybody needs downtime. You can't. Oh, what is that saying? You can't the. You can't squeeze water from a stone, right? If you are constantly working, working, working to the point that you're so callous that you're a stone, nothing good can come out of that. And that's not just, you know, creative things that you're going to make or podcasts that you have these beautiful ideas for. It's being able to be a a good partner to your spouse or a good member in your family or parent to your child or community member. If you are constantly working, go, 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 you, you can't be anything else but a worker. And I think that's what we saw in the um, those class references that he made where, where folks were working so often that that's all they were was the, the produce of their physical labor.
0: I kind of like I had a weird concept of idleness going into reading this article because like in the aspect of a car, you know, when your car is in idle, it's not in motion. It's just there. I feel right now I'm in idle. Because we're in this situation in the U.S. where, at least in Minnesota here, I'll speak to Minnesota, but things are starting to open back up. You know, we'll be able to get vaccines to everyone in Minnesota by, I think, the end of the month. But the weather isn't quite there to where we can do out, outdoor things. I think, you know, indoor capacity is like 75%. But I feel like I'm almost waiting and I'm in this idleness, and and it's been like a year of this. I feel like I'm reading the books. I'm doing my civic-minded idleness. I'm reading my books. I'm doing podcasts. I'm learning about this stuff that happens. I'm also doing the the personal idleness. I'm doing the bubble baths. Uh, I mean, we'll get into bubble baths later. I know there's a hot uh, topic here, but it just feels like right now for me, I'm in this at least for you know the past few months as COVID hopefully hopefully knock on wood has come to its end here in the US, sorry for the UK, but it it almost feels like to me, this idea of idleness is it doesn't necessarily have to have the benefits of being, you know, civic minded idleness or personal idleness. It can almost be this in between of, I just don't know what to do right now. I'm so bored by having so much time, even though I don't have so much time. I don't know if that makes sense whatsoever. I'm a gig worker. I work from home. I do the podcast, I have all these stuff I need to do, but then I also have all this other time that I would usually fill with, you know, going to concerts, seeing friends, going out to dinner, doing stuff of that nature. So you almost feel like you're in this idleness in that sense.
2: I mean, now is just such a unique time. You know, I I, I know that in my lifetime, and I don't think what, since, you know, 1918 or whatever, the the, pan, the, Spanish, the, the yeah. Spanish flu yeah that that we've experienced this, and mm-hmm. but you make a good point in saying you may maybe we shouldn't be fretting about doing nothing, maybe we should just be enjoying this time you know that that maybe we shouldn't be fretting about how much time we're spending in idleness or in sloth. we should be just enjoying uh, a little bit of this reprieve I mean, I know Rachel and I, I mean, we work in corporate america we we have jobs during this time, and we were working from home and I mean I know from my point of view there were times when I was quote on the clock. I didn't have shit to do. You know, <laughs> I was just sitting there like feeling guilty. Like, I gotta, I gotta make myself work. And then now that I'm getting busier, I'm like, oh man, I should have enjoyed that time harder. <laughs> like, <laughs> because it's just such a unique time in history. And if anybody's feeling guilty about it, dude, give yourself a break. We are in unprecedented times. Enjoy yourself. I mean, we're all kind of waiting to
1: start again, right? So give yourself some grace and just just ride it out. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Ma- yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to say give yourself grace as well. You know, you're you're bored and you have this you have this extra time that you didn't have before. Uh, and I know there's like kind of guilt, right? It goes to FOMO even at mm-hmm. some point where it's like I'm I could be doing something with this time, or I could be seeing friends, or I could be going to concerts. But at the end of the day, nobody's doing any of that, or at least. Nobody sh- probably should be doing any of that. If I can make a political stance on the show, is that a uh, political stance? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where all your listeners are. I don't want. I don't want you to get any angry. The, we emails. have some Texas
0: fans. We have some Texas well, exactly. fans. Exactly.
1: So you know, there's not. Again, I think the unprecedented unprecedented sin- oh my god i am worse than unprecedented in i have never used that word right times. once
0: on this podcast <laughs> so don't unprecedented-
1: don't the unprecedented That's sin- it's because this is so rare <laughs> once a century centennialness of this now i'm just making up words <laughs> it's so uncommon that you just kind of have to take it as it is you know
0: i feel like it's kind of in that tough situation of, you're right, this is a once in a lifetime thing. No one really knows how to handle this. But you're like, oh, I maybe went to a concert one hour. I used to work in music. So I went to concerts a bunch. So maybe like one hour a day for a concert. And now I can't do that. You almost feel guilty, especially in this, you know, American dream society. If I don't spend that one hour doing something else productive, I'm quote unquote, lazy. And I think that has been just ingrained in a lot of us as Americans, specifically, our way of life.
1: Oh, I agree. Because I I had a slightly different pandemic experience. I've been working full time. I've been been back on site, you know, off and on for the duration of the pandemic. I haven't felt bored very often, but I feel lazy a lot. (laughs) Like a Friday night when my husband and I are just laying on the couch watching The Mandalorian. Like, the whole season, I feel bad. Like, I, I get where you're coming from. I feel lazy, even if I'm not necessarily bored in that moment. But yeah, the, we've been so conditioned is that you have to be going, you have to be doing something, especially the younger generations. I feel like we're not just sold that through the American dream, but also through our social media and our social networks where you have to hustle. Mm, you got to grind, point. right? You got to have that grind on. So taking these this time, even though there's not really a lot, you can be grinding right now, but- you feel you feel like you're missing out right the, the FOMO the missed opportunities those kind of things I, I feel you
0: well you guys you guys covered a similar this kind of a similar topic in a recent episode of your podcast titled is self-care making you oh, selfish sure you mentioned self-care and toxicity, toxicity self-indulgence how, Laura, you're going to go after that last piece of pizza if everyone's had a piece. Rachel, not a fan of tapas. <laughs> I hate
1: you tapas. know The growth it's,
0: coming from the discomfort. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I said
1: I can't do tapas. To- I love to eat and I don't want to monitor every bite. I just want to know what's mine so I can just eat the heck out of it.
0: <laughs> I totally get that. Uh, also, growth coming from discomfort, the treat yourself kind of being a bit BS. Do you see self-care after that episode? Do you see self-care in the image of leisure, sloth? some sort of combination of the two or or something completely else.
2: It's self-care, I mean, we talk about it in the episode is that self-care has kind of evolved into something totally different. Of it. one, Number one, it's a whole industry. But I mean, aside from that, it's that whole idea of avoiding responsibilities is somehow self-care. I don't agree with that, that responsibilities, the things that you've committed to are very important. But there is legit self-care, you know, and, and maybe maybe for some people that is a bubble bath, as you referenced, Adam. Uh, for me, it's, it's not the bubble bath. There are other things that I do to really rejuvenate yourself. But that does really tie into this conversation about leisure, you know, time and, and taking time to – to gather your thoughts and to center yourself is always time well spent, but it shouldn't be at the expenses of other commitments that you've made mm-hmm. or your financial means, you know, treat yourself, you know, spending thousands of dollars of shit you can't spend. That is not self care. And, and I mean, just going back to the article, it, it's, absolutely legitimate to spend sometimes idly, sloth. You know, is it sloth or is it just taking a few minutes to to center yourself? You just want to make sure that you're upholding your commitments and you're not being that toxic person to someone else and and bailing on your commitments left and right. Which
1: it kind of ties in. And I I agree fully with that. If you listen to the episode, I'm apparently a little bit more Spartan than Laura either because I consider self-care to be doing my dishes or, you know, doing chores around the house because it's... Taking care of myself. I know. No fun, Rachel. Um, but the idea of just taking time to do nothing, I, that's part of us as a species. We talked about our evolution a lot in that first article. Back in our hunter-gatherer days, it's, speculated or it's been determined, I don't really know who, who decided it, but they, they guessed that we had up to 50% of our days were free time. And I don't know how either of you spent today. I did not have half of it to do whatever the heck I wanted. It, it's that's part of who we are. Like you said, we need that time off to be doing nothing, to be in idle.
0: Well, yeah, and I almost feel going back to ancient humans, you know, we kind of talked about this flight or flight response, this adrenaline rush. We don't have that as much. We're not, you know, going outside and hoping a tiger doesn't come and attack us. I feel like we're almost a more calm people as well. And with calmness comes more, almost more free time because we don't have to spend as much time building shelters to protect ourselves from those tigers, building shelter to, or not building shelter again. We can build two shelters if we want to go for it, (laughs) Uh, building weapons to protect ourselves from, you know... What could be in that dark forest? We're in this weird evolutionary stage of humanity where we're right in between that, you know, that hunter gatherer kind of needing to stay on our feet, stay under the balls of our toes to survive, and now a more automated society
2: I like that train of thinking that that thought of evolutionary biology being that's the reason why we can feel uncomfortable being idle I mean my perspective is that goes more towards society and the specifically the American society that we built is that we've got to produce mm-hmm. you know it's a capitalist society and get it done. But, but it's an interesting thought to think that maybe that is kind of part of our, our ingrained selves as well, is that being idle for some reason feels uncomfortable because we should be doing something to better our situation, to, to reinforce our shelters, you know, against the, the tiger siege that's <laughs> destined to come. I, I want to
0: make it very clear as someone who's very focused in human-wildlife conflict, tigers will not attack you unless they're pushed into attacking. They're very calm animals.
2: Do they want to cuddle? They
0: don't want to cuddle. No, but they say don't? <laughs> if you're getting rid of their space and now they're living amongst you and competing oh, for food, they I might know, attack it's, you.
2: It's so sad the encroaching that we're doing.
1: I just want to cuddle a tiger so bad. And I know fun fact about tigers: there are more tigers in captivity in Texas than there are in the wild in India. Oh, that makes oh, your so Texas sad. listeners just let your tigers go, let them free. <laughs>
0: But kind of to your point, Laura, that you were kind of talking about, as Americans, we had the most prosperous times in America during both world wars, because we were producing like there was no tomorrow. There was money for everyone. Everyone had jobs. We're not in war, technically, anymore. Uh, There are forever wars out there. Well, that's another episode. That's another episode. But anyways, we're not in that need to produce as much or, I mean, most of those production jobs are going to places that are cheaper.
2: Yeah, there's a huge switch in our economy in that production versus the more idea economy or what do they call it? There's a phrase for it and I'm blanking
1: on what it is. I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. And we kind of talked about this again in our first Fan Friday where we talked about Only fans where society in our economy is kind of shifting from monetizing our physical labor, our intellect to monetizing other assets, uh, including our personalities, which is why we have shows that we do podcasts and we're creating content. And in the future, that might be how the majority of people are sustaining themselves is they are, they are monetizing or they're profiting from the talents that they bring outside of what we would traditionally consider Um, productive, right? So whether that's entertaining someone or making someone feel like they have a friend or that's, you know, twerking on OnlyFans. We don't have to toil in the factories. Robots can handle that. Now we're just in the business of Socialization. Well,
0: yeah, as we kind of talked about this in our last episode with Stu, you know, we can now invest in ourselves. You know, we both have podcasts, we can make money from that podcast. We don't actually have to create a physical, we're not necessarily creating a physical product the way physical products were created during World War One, World War Two. It's more of a conceptual product.
2: No, completely. It it's just the change overall of goods versus I guess services. You know, that's what it is. Goods economy versus service economy. US is primarily a service economy. Now we don't produce the way we used to. And be, because services can even start to be automated through AI and through robot you know, factories and all this kind of stuff, it really does free us up and we need to make room in our culture for it, whether that's our evolutionary biology and how our brain works, or it's literally how our culture thinks of leisure time. We're going to have more of it as the robots take over our our entire (laughs) lives as throwback to the AI uh, doomsday uh, reference in the first one. We're going to shoot our sperm out and, you know, hunker down and have our leisure time.
0: <laughs> well, this is an interesting thing. I can't donate sperm because I didn't finish college.
2: That's oh. stupid. Right. I am taking a firm stance of that is dumb. My husband is a sperm donor to this uterus, and he did
1: not finish college either, and she is a beautiful, wonderful baby girl. Well, you know what you can do instead, so you don't feel left out, is, you know, just leave a little cup for free out on the corner, and then you're technically a sperm donor. Free sperm. Do it with what you wish.
0: To the moon, please. To the moon, please, NASA. Uh, Before we move on from the story, I do want to ask you guys kind of this, almost like a libertarian type question, but like... What obligations do we have as humans to society? Because I look at it as I'm paying taxes. I'm trying to be somewhat of a decent person. What else do I have to give?
2: Rachel and I maybe have some differing opinions on that. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit freewheeling on that, man. I don't think anybody owes anything jack shit. I mean, I'm, I love I'm sorry, sorry. Sorry to
0: interrupt, Laura. I love how when you're like free willing, you add in that man to like really <laughs> emphasize that just free. I
2: do, I say it a lot. You're right. I, I'm kind of a tribalist in the sense of like I owe things to the people around me, the people that I love, people that I see. Those are the people that I owe things to. The general world, I don't owe anything to anybody I don't know. I don't want to be a bad global citizen. But I'm not going to spend my, my time trying to save the world or save people I don't know. In the general part – I'm just trying to look after me and mine, and and that's what I think that I owe. Because you're right, I pay my taxes, I go to my job, I try to be a good person the best I can. But I'm not trying to save the world. I'm just
1: trying to keep keep my little uh, my little tribe intact. That attitude is not going to get a lot of sperm to the moon, Laura. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. Because I sit in the more opposite camp that we should have a little bit more responsibility for each other, or at least not want to actively hurt each other. Well,
2: and I think actively, that when actively hurt, I. Think is a good thing for anyone, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, physically or emotionally. That's where we disagree. Um, but I do think we owe each other a little bit, a little bit more than that. And I think that comes from finding ways to to give back and and to take care of someone. You know, it's. <sighs> I'll just leave it at that. That's where I think that we we owe a little bit more than maybe uh, what Laura thinks.
0: All right. I'm I'm right in the middle there. I think it depends really on the situation. Like if Yellowstone, the caldera in Yellowstone erupts, I'm focused on me and mine and my people, not just me, but like my people, like I'm focused on making them safe. I don't, I mean, I'm close to my neighbors, so maybe I might care about them. (laughs) Maybe my neighbors down the street that I've never met. I don't care if they survived that volcanic eruption. I'm getting me and my family out of this destruction zone, I don't, I can't remember where it would be. I think Minnesota is kind of safe, but not really. So I'm not, I'm not going to oh, chance I'd it say with volcanoes. Come on gonna over gonna here to Missouri, smooth. Adam.
2: <laughs> You're now part of my tribe. You're welcome. I've got a spare bedroom. Come on. Well, okay, and
1: that's my point: is that your tribe will change very quickly in a disaster. Mm, people don't true. just help their own. Whenever you look at a, a horrific situation, people stand up to help anyone, and I think that's a hallmark of humanity. But please, I mean, not please. I would not suggest coming to Missouri because once that volcano blows, um, the fault that we have, the new Madrid, it's going to go, it's going to earthquake, and then the rivers are going to run backward. And the Mississippi is just going <laughs> to go <laughs> up your way. We're off, so don't come oh, here.
0: Not looking forward to it. But I also do, do believe in like these times right now, and obviously we are in this catastrophic situation, having a global pandemic, and we're seeing... I mean, I truly believe, I think the news tends to skew it a bit towards the negative, but I truly believe more people are stepping up, helping each other, going outside of their tribes and being a, a good person in humanity when the chips are down. And obviously, I talked about this in my Best of 2020 episode. Obviously, there have been, I've known people personally that have kind of stepped aside or stepped down and not really been a contributing factor to what's been going on. But hopefully now those kind of people see like, hey, maybe the next time this situation comes knocking at my door, I'll have learned, hopefully I'll have learned to be a better person. And when we're in a zombie nuclear Holocaust situation will be able to help our neighbors down the street.
1: If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Perfect. I think think that's a quote from 30 Rock.
0: (laughs) We didn't even get into 30 Rock. I I know you guys love 30 Rock. I'm a big fan of 30 Rock. Real quick, favorite character and why is it Dr. Spaceman? No,
2: it's Jenna Maroney. (laughs) Always, always, always. I have a Jenna
1: deep inside me that is always just waiting to just... And then I'm I'm Liz through and through. After we're done, I'm gonna go work on my night cheese. I like. That's <laughs> why we work together so well. Now that you guys have said <laughs> that, but like
0: just looking at you, I'm like Jenna Liz, perfect.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because I spend the five hours editing. That's <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm like, it's fine, whatever. I, but you sing. She sings on the podcast. I She's do totally do Jenna all the singing. I any opportunity, I will sing. And I just probably blew out everyone's eardrums.
0: (laughs) Uh, Lauren, Rachel, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you'd like to give Laura and Rachel's podcast, Impolite Society, a listen, you can do so by heading to www.impolitesocietypodcast.com. Once again, that's www.impolitesocietypodcast.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Facebook at Impolite Society Podcast or listen wherever podcasts are available. Um, And just a side note for the listeners, make sure to remain after the corrections of this episode for a short teaser clip from one of their latest episodes. And then of course, as always, to make it easier for you, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. So we've obviously mentioned your so- show, polite Society, multiple times here throughout the conversation. By the way, listeners, new episodes every other Monday. But as we close out this episode, I of course have to give my listeners just a little more of a tease of what is to come. So do you have a taboo question that has been on your mind? your white whale that you can't wait to record an episode around? Or is it more like my sh- We kind of, we have similar shows. Or is it my more like my show where I'll watch a documentary or read an article and I'll be like, I instantly have to find someone to talk about this or my friends are going to hate me.
2: I'd say a little bit of both. Like yeah. we do the both thing because there's definitely topics that come up, but- White whale. There's a couple of things that we've been wanting to talk about. We just, were just talking about it in the green room. It was about weight. That's what we were going to weigh ourselves too. on the
0: podcast. Oh, interesting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Rachel was like, "I have to slim down before I weigh myself. <laughs> I need like a solid six weeks heads up on that." I'm like, "I don't care. It's not changing. I'm just gonna weigh myself. I don't care."
0: Well, that would be an interesting conversation. I'm I'm inviting myself onto your podcast, hopefully. But that would be an interesting conversation to have between y'all as women and me as a man because I look at weight very differently.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Just yes. I'll
0: just throw it out there into the universe. Okay, I'll just you throw can it consider it. Into it the universe.
1: We'll, we'll, get, we'll have <laughs> our people give with your people and we'll get it figured out, you know? We'll get it figured out. (laughs) I would say, in addition to weight, my my top one that I'm kind of itching to do is polyamory because I think it's just, you know, I'm married, I'm in a monogamous relationship, but... I just feel like that's a really heavy expectation. And there is, uh, I think there might be something on to it. Who knows? I don't know. You can't expect one person to be your everything.
2: Don't speak for yourself, Rachel. I'm married, but I have multiple, multiple lovers. I don't have multiple lovers in my life. I'm just
0: going to cut that end out, and your husband will be like, What?
2: You won't listen. listen,
1: Don't worry. (laughs) We'll be emailing them the clip. We'll be like, Hey, hey, Austin, listen to this.
0: Well, all right. As always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Laura and Rachel from Impolite Society, the only podcast on the internet where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the water cooler or from around the world. I can't even read what I wrote and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. All right. We are now to my favorite portion of the show where I hand over the show to y'all to close out however you see fit. Rachel, we haven't had someone sing at the end of the podcast in a really long time. That is up for grabs. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. Or it can just be some good advice. Oh my
1: gosh, I already have I already have a lot of songs. But I mean, if you're really gonna let us edit, or end the show in Impolite Society fashion, it's gonna be us rambling for 10 minutes. And then I was listening to your closing. And I'm like, man, we gotta get one of those. We gotta get it wrapped up. But um, let's see, I will sing. I just need one second to orient myself.
0: Okay, Laura, do you have a good close to our conversation?
1: Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's It's the the end end of of the world. world. Come on, tempo, tempo. (laughs) And I feel feel fine. fine. And I'm getting on this. When you're up here
2: i'm up here whatever don't don't (laughs) give me that ironizing bullshit
0: as a malcolm in the middle fan thank you for that uh thank you for everyone listening to this episode but until next time i am just butchering this ending this is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real what an episode what a guest What a guest, if you can't tell, I'm trying to add an S to the end of guest, this is a good time. Thank you to Rachel and Laura for calling in to talk about those strange and interesting news stories. As always, make sure to support their podcast, Impolite Society, by following the links in the description of this episode or by going to our website at com. And as always, make sure to support their charity of choice, the Humane Society of Missouri. In the episode, I said the human I believe the human, the Homan, the human, the Homan, the Homan Society of Missouri. It's the humane society of Missouri. I'm inventing words. You guys have been here for 60 episodes. You know, I invent words, uh, helping animals around Missouri. But anyways, To the corrections. During the first conversation discussing sending payloads of sperm and ova to the moon, the Seed Vault, which contains some 930,000 different varieties of food crop seeds, is located on a group of islands just north of Norway, near the North Pole region and is built 150 meters or about 500 feet deep into the side of a a mountain. The space economy I mentioned is the Galactic Federation, which was brought to light by former head of Israel's Defense Ministry's Space Directorate, Haim Ashid. He said this includes an underground base on Mars. NASA has released a statement saying we have yet to find signs of extraterrestrial life, but NASA did not directly comment on the Galactic Federation. What are you hiding, NASA? Two episodes in a row with a uh, conspiracy theory that y'all should think a little more about. Just saying. As for the Doomsday Clock, it has been maintained since 1947 by members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, which was actually scientists from the original Manhattan Project. At its inception, the clock was set 7 minutes to midnight. Laura was correct in the farthest it has been away, being in 1991, at 17 minutes to midnight, but the closest it's been has been 100 seconds in both 2020 and, uh, at the start of this year, in 2021. The author, mentioned by Laura, Max Brooks, wrote the book World War Z. And for the Fallout fans, the Fallout bunker that held 99 women and one man was Vault 60. 69, of course. As for the results of what happened in the vault, there's no uh, official canon, but it is theorized that the man's seed was taken and preserved, he was killed off, and the women... Um, reproduce for like they reproduce for generations, and each time there was a male offspring, that male offspring was killed off because the women of this vault, and rightfully so, blamed the men for what had happened in the nuclear waste of the world outside of the vault. During the second conversation discussing pandemic idleness, as for the safety of me and mine in Minnesota, in the condition of the Yellowstone caldera erupting, Minnesota would get about an inch of volcanic ash, which doesn't sound horrible. We get like 8,000 inches of snow every freaking day during our six-month-long winter. But that uh, that inch of volcanic ash could lead to widespread respiratory issues. Obviously, all air travel would be canceled into the domestic U.S. and into Canada as well. And also, I guess, Mexico. It kind of hits Mexico. Sewer lines would be blocked. Farms would just be destroyed. The best bet would uh, be to try and reach the East Coast. Uh, the southern east coast if possible, but even those areas would still receive, you know, small amounts of ash. However, we don't don't really have much to fear. It has a very, according to a scientist I talked to on the internet, and you could be anyone on the internet, this guy might not be a scientist, but they said it has a very, 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 very low probability of erupting. And if it did erupt on the super volcanic level, we would be able to know weeks to months in advance. And then finally the quote by Rachel if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together is a African proverb but the origins are shrouded in mystery as a many African proverbs tend to be. A lot of mystery going on there in the African proverb game. All right, Water that's another Corrections Corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Once again, thank you to Rachel and Laura for calling into the studio and talking about some of the strangest and most bizarre news stories the the world has to offer. But anyways, that's your Corrections. That's your episode. So get out of here. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real as promised here's a short clip of rachel and laura's podcast impolite society enjoy
1: so i'm gonna start with a question Okay. What's the worst offense somebody can commit in a relationship? Actually, you know what? My initial thought was to be cheating, but the next thought is
2: stealing money. Mm. Like, I've seen that on television shows. Somebody who spent their entire retirement account and didn't tell the person. I was like, oh, I would much rather someone have fuck someone else than blow my entire retirement savings.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. You can get some new dick. You can't get a new 401k. But I will say, those are, you know, some solid answers. Stealing your money, cheating, watching the show that you've been watching together without you. But I will also say, you're just outright wrong. (laughs) Oh, okay. You're very wrong. (laughs) According to a lot of Google searches I did, according to the Relationship Advice subreddit, the worst possible thing somebody can do to their significant other is to snoop through their phone. I kid you not. I spend a lot of time on subreddit relationship advice. Somebody will literally make a post and it'll be like, uh, I just looked through my boyfriend's phone and found that he was conspiring with some high-level politicians to eat children under a pizza place. <laughs> oh, and he also asked this thought on Instagram for some titty pics. And literally... Out of all that horrible stuff, the first thing people will say in the comments is like, well, you shouldn't have been snooping. Because ignorance is
2: bliss.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. No, they're like, well, if you thought something was wrong, you should talk to your child cannibal boyfriend. Like, yeah, he's going to fess up to that. Yeah. So they can lie to you? Exactly. No. No. I've seen people be like, I found my boyfriend was having an affair. Like, in all honesty, like, that was a jest. Hashtag Pizzagate. Whatever. That was a joke. (laughs) But I've seen people post that, like, I know I should have been snooping, but I found this, this, and this about my significant other. And it's just like, okay, snooping is nothing compared to the offenses they've committed. Yeah, why are you even asking? Like, why are you prefacing it with, I should have been snooping? So what? You found the thing that you thought you were going to find. Good job, Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. <laughs> she found you and your hardy boys and all the hardy boys that you have hidden on your phone. All them
2: hardy bores. boys,
1: Boys. You know what I mean. The hardy borats. <laughs> My phone. <laughs> looking through my phone. That's Italian. <laughs> oh God! All right, we're, we never said we were good at accents. Listen to like if you want to dig through the little archives, you can get to the, the <laughs> genealogy episode, and we do like really bad Irish accents or <laughs> <laughs> for half of it. But yeah, no people have to preface it because they think they're gonna get fucking roasted by the edge lords in the comment section, telling them that two wrongs don't make a right. Bullshit. It's because they're all dudes looking to cover their ass. Well, exact... Okay, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there might (laughs) be a little trend there. You know, who knows? But I will say... The theme of snooping and it not being quite above the line is very common. I, I did a quick little Google search on it because that's, you know, how all my research starts with a little googly, a little googly, googly, <laughs> whatever. You don't go, you don't go to the library and do. Your- I, I, I like to go through the Dewey Decimal System and I got to find my <laughs> periodicals where I then, uh, you know, look for the latest peer-reviewed research. (laughs) But no, I started with the Google search, and it basically had one singular, resounding message. Snooping and spying on your significant other is bad, and it's a sign that there's no trust, and you're a horrible person, and your relationship is trash, and you're going to be single and die alone. Unless, and there's a big unless there, but we'll come back to that at the end. But basically the message is you... (laughs) You're a, you're sad. You're sad. If you're a woman, and I mean a lot of these articles are directed at women, not gonna lie. But you're bad. You know you, <laughs> you you suck. You're bad. You're just like, you're a horrible person and if you've ever looked at your significant other's phone, get fucked. And I will say, okay. Vulnerability time. Okay. I am, or I guess I should say have been a snooper in varying mm-hmm. capacities throughout my life, right?